0: Sometimes I swear it feels like this worry. my only friend. Oh. I when it comes to things you care about, leave nothing to chance. Oh. Travelers Insurance for Auto Home and Business. This morning's 9 a.m. service is brought to you by Travelers. Uh, I love that commercial. That's a cute commercial, isn't it? Uh, By the way, we are excited about today. Uh, We're starting our 11 o'clock service today. So uh, if you look next to you and there's an empty seat, that's because those are people who were out late last night at the bars. And it's hard for them to make. Um, But now we have some room in this service and we'll have room in the next one. So you guys can uh, help us fill up both so we can take the message of grace to a tired and hopeless world uh, on a regular basis, and we can reach more people. My name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the Garden, and we're continuing this series called Move Over for the next several months about how we make way for Jesus in our life leading up to the Gospel of Mark later on. But this week, we're continuing on in our Old Testament look at this, and we're talking about Exodus chapter 1, 8 to 14, and we're calling the sermon today Trouble. See, Trouble is something all of us are familiar with. Trouble is something that haunts us. Trouble is something that dominates our thought process. Actually, if you think about it, trouble dominates our thought process more than blessing. Right? I mean, because trouble really demands you look. Trouble really demands your attention. Trouble demands your resources and efforts to try to make it go away. So I'm going to read the passage to you today. Uh, It's Exodus chapter 1, 8 to 14. I'm going to read the first few verses, then we'll focus on verses 12 uh, through 14. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they would join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land." Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter. With hard service in mortar and in brick and all kind of work in the fields. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So, what was supposed to happen today was I was supposed to read this passage to you, then I was supposed to read one in Exodus three, where the the hero comes into the story, where Moses comes, you know, and, and starts the Exodus and takes them to the promised land. But I decided to skip the joyful part, and really stick with the depressing part. <clears throat> okay, because that's, you know, that's how I like to roll. But in reality, do you know that what we just read, those six or seven verses, I believe is the most overlooked miracle in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it could be, outside of the resurrection of Jesus, the most overlooked miracle in the Bible. This is the most overlooked miracle incredible sovereign act of God when it comes to his covenant he made with Abraham when he said, I'm going to make your seed great. It's the most overlooked miracle so let's go through the historical. Just remember, so you understand, every time we look at a passage, we look at three applications. You have to under- understand the historical application. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? You have to understand the theological. What about God? What did he do? Why did he do it? And then only after you understand the historical and theological, theological can you apply it devotionally. What about me? What do I do? Why do I do it? So let's look at the historical aspects. First of all, I want you to understand what happens. Israel enters Egypt under the best possible circumstances with Joseph. I don't know if you guys remember the story or not, but basically there was a great drought. People didn't know what was going to go on. And Joseph finds favor with Pharaoh. And Joseph is put in charge of Egypt, basically. And so so, uh, Jacob's family comes from this place that is suffering with drought, and he moves his family, about 100 of them. There's about 100 people that make up the nation of Israel at this time. They move them into the well-watered Nile Delta region, which is where Egypt was. And one of their own people, of the 100 people that move, one of their own 100 is actually running the country for Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing? And then what the Scripture teaches us then is that Israel grew Under those good conditions. And everybody liked Israel because of Jacob and also because it was just a small band of a hundred people. But after about 300 years, 400 years, Egypt and the Pharaohs become very afraid of Israel. Because they're growing in number, they're getting larger and larger. And you read what happened. If we don't do something, they're going to fight with our enemies one day and destroy us. So let's enslave them and persecute them. They had forgotten who Joseph was by this time. It's 400 years later. They'd forgotten what all he had done. And now they decide we have to make sure that we keep Egypt pure. Let's keep Israel separate. Let's enslave them. Let's make them do all our work. As a matter of fact, it got so bad, at one point, Pharaoh commanded all his people, this is what Pharaoh says in Exodus chapter 1 verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile River, but let every daughter live. Now, they wanted to keep the daughters. Can you ask yourself why that would be? I want you, by the way, this is another like a little theological commercial, Throughout Scripture, what we see is attempts by Satan to destroy the bloodline of Jesus. He intended to interbreed Egyptians with Jewish people. Another attempt by Satan to corrupt the bloodline. And most people read this passage, right, and they see the suffering, and they think, man, this is terrible. They're doing everything from slavery to killing babies, See, I want you to understand something. This is not just Pharaoh's doing. This is the enemy working against God's promise to Abraham. But yet the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread. Now, this is the miracle, guys. This is the miracle that I think many people overlook. Let's make sure, let's kind of break this down a little bit. 430 years they're in captivity, or they're in in slavery, and they're in Egypt. And I'm going to give you some conservative estimates. Over 430 years, their population doubled every 27.6 years. That is a population growth among the nation of Israel of 2.54% per year. The greatest percentage of population growth ever in American history was in the 60s. 242 and it only lasted for a little while. What happens is after 430 years, doubling every 27.6 years, at 2.54% growth rate per year, they are now, from 100 people, 5 million. And that is very conservative. That's just counting men. Think about how this all happens. They are in oppression. They're having their babies slaughtered. They are persecuted. They're going through difficult times. And they grow from 100 to over 5 million. They were probably three times, four times the size of the Egyptian population. No wonder they were afraid. That is an amazing historical concept to think about. In the midst of... In the 60s, we weren't being oppressed as Americans. These people are in slavery. So let's look at the devotional side or the theological side of this. Trouble can't win. You understand what happened? Satan hated the fact that God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your seed is going to bless all nations. He hated that fact. And so he needs to stop it. And he had a good weapon. He had a good weapon that could inflict a lot of pain and a lot of bloodshed on God's people. Here's the problem. Satan and trouble failed miserably. We've discussed in the past how throughout the Bible we see these attempts by Satan, attempt after attempt to disrupt God's promise to his chosen and God's plan for his people, yet this is another example, one that is almost 430 years in the making. Can you imagine what Satan is thinking year after year after year as more and more Jews are born at a rate that's probably five times that of his Egyptian weapon? Can you imagine what Satan's thinking? These people are like weeds. I can't stop the growth of God's people. They're everywhere I look. What in the world is going on here? I kill their babies and they still populate this place. So what are we supposed to do with this? It's an amazing miracle if you think about it, right? Here's the devotional application. Pain and trouble are part of redemption. And this is where I really want you to, I want to try to reach in and grab your heart this morning with this, okay? Okay. There's a very bad misperception out there that if you're walking with God, you'll have a life of blessing. Let me ask you a question. Jesus' life, was it easy? Was it blessed? It was full of pain and trouble. As a matter of fact, Isaiah prophesied he was a man of sorrows, very familiar with grief. Just like Jacob last week, how grace had to smack him down and left a scar, a dislocated hip that he walked with a limp the rest of his life, unfortunately, I have to tell you, you want redemption, you want forgiveness, pain and trouble are part of it. So let me brighten it up for you just a little bit, okay? How about that? Some of you go, Joe, come on, you're a little bit dark. Let me give you some fun facts about trouble. Fun facts about trouble. You ready? Fun facts. A- Maybe this is not so happy. It's a result of a world riddled with depravity. See, this, you understand that When bad things happen, the question, how could God let that happen? Stupid question. You know why bad things happen? Because we are bad things. The world is riddled with depravity that starts with us. God didn't make a depraved world. It became depraved under Adam. So that's a first fun fact about trouble that the world is riddled with it because of sinfulness. But, second thing about trouble, it is the birthplace of grace. It is the catalyst that God uses to regenerate us and bring us to faith and trust in Him and not in ourselves. It's the birthplace of grace and mercy. You know what else? Another fun fact about trouble, it's the tool God uses more than any other to refine us and to sanctify us and to change us and to transform us. Even the most minor trials we face are opportunities for our Creator and Heavenly Dad to be glorified in our life with the miracles that He brings in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. How much glory would it bring for God to have Israel grow from 100 to 5 million if they were in a land flowing with milk and honey. It's even more miraculous that they go from 100 people to 5 million in a land that hates them. As a matter of fact, James writes a letter to the Jews. We studied James in depth in the past. And James talks about this idea of trial. He says in James chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of Israel that are dis- scattered all over. Greetings. And he says in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of different kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith will produce stability. It's funny, isn't it? We think of Life being calm is stable. But what James teaches us is that trials bring stability. Trials make you rock solid. But here's another fun fact about trouble. It's always temporary for God's people. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians four fifteen eighteen. to 18. Listen to this. For it is all of your sake... For it is for all of your sakes, so that as grace extends to more and more people, just like sort of how Israel was being multiplied, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so that we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not on the things which are seen, but we look and gaze on the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Wow, isn't that a great verse? Trouble is always temporary, even if it lasts a lifetime. One more fun fact about trouble. It's never too big for Heavenly Dad. Romans 8.28, it says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to His purpose. And then another verse, I read this at... um, couple funerals recently because it's such a great comfort to me when I'm losing a friend, and it's also a great comfort to the friend that I'm losing when I'm talking to them. I love Romans eight thirty-one to 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, by the way, a lot of trouble for Jesus in that process. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's chosen? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was risen from the grave, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No way. Persecution? Nope. Famine? Nope. Nakedness? No. Danger? No. Sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are being slaughtered all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, I tell you, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor pharaohs, rulers, nor things present or things to come... Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wish Paul would make it more clear, don't you? He needs more descriptors in there. Do you understand Egypt hated God's people and they flourished? I got news for you the world hates the church. The world likes it when the church does stuff for them, but it hates the message of the church, which is this, man is helpless. Grace and mercy is the only way to connect to God. Not works, not will, it's grace. And as often as happened in history, the persecution of God's chosen has the exact opposite effect that is intended by the enemy. You want an example? How about Nero in Rome? He was slaughtering Christians left and right. He's gone. We're here. How about China? Many, many years ago, all the missionaries were kicked out of China. Everybody said, oh, what's going to happen to the church in China? Later on, you went back in and you found out the underground church in China had exploded. Those are just two quick examples. See, guys, no matter how deep, the hardship, no matter how dark the swirling, sucking eddy of despair may seem, nothing can separate you from the love of God. As a matter of fact, trouble is a great way to know whether or not you even know God. See, people think, people think that blessings are the greatest evidence of God's presence. And when you think that, you don't understand the gospel. Well, I'm walking with God because look at all the blessings in my life. I have beautiful children, I have a great job, I have a great house. You think that's a sign that God's with you? Pharaoh had beautiful children. He had a pretty good job. He had a house a lot better than yours. (laughs) Even without electricity, it was pretty good. (laughs) If that were really a sign of blessing, then why did Jesus have to die in the first place? You see, thriving through hardship is a much better indication of spiritual life than success when life is smooth. I know in my life, the evidence evidence that God was with me was not less when I suffered. In fact, the evidence that God was in my heart was overwhelmingly undeniable and more evident when I was going through trouble. You guys know the story of my family, some of the things we went through with my daughter. Times when I was fired from churches, didn't have a job. When things aren't going well for me, And I'm not just just telling you because it sounds good and goes with my sermon. I'm really just trying to be honest with you. I'm trying to bear my heart to you. When things don't go well for me, that's when I know God is with me. That's when I know. There's a guy I love. I love to read his stuff. His name is A.W. Tozer. He's a great author. Here's what he says. God often hides his blessing in trouble or trial which makes it all the sweeter when it comes our way. That's why James says count it a great blessing when you go through hardship because that testing is going to make your faith stable. If God can grow a people from 100 to 5 million while they're being oppressed and having their children killed, he can certainly redeem you when you're going through American trouble.